uh, we give a very warm welcome to everybody joining with us for worship today, both those in the building here and those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 139. It's page 432 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. O Lord, Thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up. Yea, all my thoughts afar to Thee are known. My footsteps and my lying down Thou compassest all ways. Thou also most entirely art acquaint with all my ways. We'll sing verses uh, 1 to 6 of Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. Join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that as we sing these songs, we will listen to the truths that are revealed to us in them. You know us not just in our outward actions and deeds, but you know us deeply and intimately, even in our innermost thoughts. 
And it is a great mystery to us that you know the words that we are going to utter even before we open our mouths to utter them. But then that's what being human means. We are so limited in comparison to you. But that truth that you know us inside out, utterly and absolutely, can be a terrifying truth. It is terrifying to us if we have no remedy for our sin. But when we seek the remedy that you provide in Jesus, that very same truth that can so haunt us and devour us and destroy us becomes a great comfort. May we remember this no matter where we get ourselves to in life's journey. You know it all. And the reality is that no matter how perplexing our situation might be, you've been there before us. And you've been a lot deeper than we will ever be. That is a great comfort. And we pray that on a glorious day like this, we would look around and see your creation and acknowledge that you are a great and powerful being. And that you are deeply interested in beauty. And that these things speak to us about you being eternal. But these phenomena will not tell us that you have provided a remedy for sinners. But this book you have given to us does. And we thank you for what you say to us in the works of creation. But we thank you for what you also tell us in your book of Revelation. And we pray that as we gather here this day and we hear the sounds of little voices in our midst, we thank you for them. Every last one of them. They are gifts that you give. O Lord our God, help us to appreciate them and help us all to fulfil baptismal vows that we may have taken in the past and remember those of us who want to bury our heads with shame because we have failed in that respect. But may we remember that you are a God who has made a covenant with us and there is an accommodation within the covenant to deal with sin. If we come confessing our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you that that's the way it is. And we pray that as we gather here this day, we would be thankful for many other blessings as well. We look at the Ukraine at a moment like this and we view the atrocities of war from a great distance We cannot enter into the anguish and the pain. But we pray that these hostilities would cease. We pray that there would be an end to the terrible lies that are driving these things. And we pray that you would remove people who are in power, who are abusing their power. Whether it be in terms of Russia or indeed in terms of Western powers, because we are not squeaky clean. O Lord our God, help us to remember that righteousness alone exalts a nation. Please help us.
in all our need. And please help us whilst we are gathered here together because this is your day, this is your place, this is your book, and these are your people. But it does not prevent the enemy of our souls coming in like a flood, trying to throw a spanner in the works and preventing you from receiving the worship that you are due and preventing us from gleaning for our souls through interacting with you. So we ask you to help us and we ask you to bless us one and all and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now a wee story today for the children. I was visiting in a house on uh, Friday, one of the congregation, and someone said to me, now if you go to the window now and you look at the tree out there, you'll see a blackbird on it. And as soon as I go to the kitchen and put out some sultanas, the bird will leave the tree and come down to the kitchen or to somewhere near the kitchen um, to, to eat the sultanas. And uh, I was told that the bird was called Sooty, and I think that's quite a good name for a black bird because Soot's the kind of stuff you get on the chimney. It's all black, really black, and uh, I sup- I'm guessing that's why the bird, the black bird was called Sooty because it's black as well. But it reminded me of years ago that we also, when, I, when my children are a bit smaller, we also had a blackbird that used to, also, to come to the... To, she didn't just come to the window. This blackbird came in uh, to the kitchen. <laughs> and we called this blackbird Blackie. There was something wrong with its foot and... Uh, I do remember that, but uh, it was also sultanas that we were feeding Blackie with, and you'd just open the window and you would put some sultanas on the windowsill, and in Blackie would come and gobble them all up, and 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 it was a it was a delight to see to see the blackbird. But I'm guessing that that blackbird, you know, blackbirds don't normally come into the house. They stay well away from you. And I think the reason they stay well away from us is because they're scared of us. And uh, maybe they've got good reason to be afraid of some human beings. But Blackie would come in the window because he wasn't afraid. Or I think it was, I think it was a he. I can't remember exactly. But uh, that's what happens to you in old age. You forget things that are crystal clear at other times. But anyway, there was, there was a trust. That blackbird knew that we weren't going to harm it. And uh, it really trusted us. And we had no intention of doing it any harm. We didn't want to chase it away. We loved having it and we loved feeding it. And you know, that's the way it ought to be with Jesus as well. You know, some people don't come to Jesus because they're frightened of him. I hope that's not the way it is with us. That we will not come and to Jesus and trust in him because we're frightened. Because there's one thing for sure. Jesus does not mean to harm any of us. He came into this world and he did what he did in order to help us. But in order for us to receive the benefit of 
the help he gives we've got to come to him and we've got to trust in him and I hope that every last person here today young and old I hope that we are really trusting in Jesus as our saviour now let's read God's word as we find it in the gospel according to St. Matthew and it's chapter 28. Matthew's gospel chapter 28 and we're going to read at uh, the beginning of the chapter. Now after the Sabbath towards the dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus whom was here. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See? I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Now let's sing again 
In the same song, Psalm 139, it's page 432 of the Psalter, and it's at verse 7. From thy spirit, whither shall I go? Or from thy presence fly, ascend thy heaven. Lo, thou art there, there, if in hell I lie. Take I the morning wings, and dwell in utmost parts of sea, even there, Lord. Shall thy hand me lead, thy right hand hold shall me. We'll sing verses 7 to 12 of Psalm 139. From thy spirit whither shall I go? join together again in prayer let's pray O Lord our God we pray that as we turn to the Bible today that you would help us because sometimes we come to it and we feel so empty and we read it and we leave it and we are just as empty but we do realize the fault does not lie with what you have said. The fault lies in our coming. Sometimes we come to you and we are just so arrogant. Sometimes we come to you and 
our attitude is just so wrong. Sometimes we come and writ large over our coming is that we simply couldn't care less. We ask you to forgive us for coming in that kind of way. And we do realize that we go away empty because of that kind of coming. But may we come with our mouths open wide that we might be filled with the good things of your word. We have nothing to woo you with, nothing. But that is the beauty of the gospel. Salvation is a gift. It's not that we're even neutral. We have mountains of sin to cause you to shun us. But we would ask you, please do not shun us this day. But have mercy upon us. And enable us to glean from your word. To find comfort in it. To rejoice in it. We give thanks once again. For the sound of little voices in our midst. We give thanks also for the unborn in our midst. Blessings from you, O Lord our God. Come in amongst us all this day. And do us good. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's turn for a few moments to uh, the passage that we've read in Matthew's Gospel and at chapter 28 and we're reading again at verse 18 and Jesus came and said to them All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. We can't go into it all, but let's just uh, look at some of the things that uh, come up. In the verses prior to the ones that I've just read, we read now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Jesus always said that he would die and he would come alive again. Not even his closest friends believed him. And that was a problem for them but I think it was also a problem for Jesus some of these men had been with him for maybe well certainly three years maybe up to three and a half years they'd seen him perform miracle they'd listened to sermon after sermon they had been so privileged and not only were they privileged in what they observed and what they heard he had given them extraordinary gifts But it did not stop these men not believing from time to time what Jesus said to them. And I'm afraid they paid the price for that unbelief. And here we are in the 21st century and we're no different. 
we are no different. Because, you know, we come and we read God's word and we listen to what God, we listen to what Jesus has to say to us and sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other ear. He's just said here in this passage of scripture that today he's in a position where all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He loves his children dearly. So then you ask this question, why on earth as a Christian am I so beside myself with worries and fears so often? Well, why indeed? Why indeed? You see, this issue of belief, this issue of faith is just so crucial. And I'm afraid so often our faith is all over the place. But you know, this is, our, this is the wonderful thing about this book before us. You know, you pick up a, 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 a biography or even an autobiography and, and, and everything that's written is written with an agenda. It's written with a slant, it's written with a bias when it comes from the hands of solely a human being. You're never sure how much truth is there and how much is not so truthful. You don't have that issue with the Word of God. Now I know it has been written with the hand of men, but by the hand of men that were guided in all that they said by the word of God. That's why you get a passage of scripture even here that says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that so upfront? And isn't that so honest? But that's the way it is with God. You know, one of the things about God is this. Nobody on the day we appear before God and have to give an account of our lives, nobody will ever be able to say, do you know what, God, you, you hoodwinked me. You misled me. You never told me the truth. Because he has told us the truth. He hasn't hoodwinked any of us. He's put his cards on the table how we have responded to that well that's another a question entirely and uh, utterly but God's an upfront God God is very honest it's in his nature to be upfront and honest and here it is it manifests itself on the pages of scripture some doubt it but Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. Now it's not as if Jesus had no authority prior to this because he did. And you know, even in his even in his miracle making power, he demonstrated his authority over phenomena of nature. For example, that day he was in the boat. And he was sound asleep in the back of the boat with his head in a pillow. And you think, what's going on there? And, and it's pretty obvious what's going on because in his earthly sojourn, Jesus was deeply interested in human beings and he's out to address their needs and he's, he's helping people. And I know there's a great mystery here. I know there's a great mystery that he is divine, he's the son of God and that got him into serious trouble 
even saying that with the church authorities. But he is divine, but he's also human. He's not a mixture of both. He's not a glorious ally of God and man. They are separate natures. And it means this. Sometimes he was wearied. Sometimes he was wearied to the very bone. And he needed to rest. He needed a sleep. He needed to be reinvigorated through the blessing of sleep. And that's what he does in the boat. He goes to sleep and you see him in all his humanity. But a storm blows up. And the disciples, they know this stretch of water. They've fished it for many a year. They can handle it and they can handle themselves. Except they couldn't handle this storm. They end up in a blind panic. Now it's very easy for us to say of these disciples, why didn't you remember who he was, who he really was? It's very easy for us to say that to them. But I don't think we would have done any better than them. Do you know what they do? When they think they're going to sink to the bottom of that sea, they shake him awake and this is what they say to him, do you not care that we are about to perish? Now of all the things to criticize Jesus for, you would have thought the last thing that they would have criticized him for would be a lack of caring. That's the very reason he was in this world. Because he really, really cared. Here you and I are as sinners, if we're honest. We, we haven't made the grade. We haven't come up to the standard. We haven't hit the mark. Again and again and again, that's the way it's been with us. And it creates a great predicament for us. How do we sort out the mess? And this is where we make a profound mistake. We try to sort out the mess ourselves. And uh, we can't. We simply can't. But we don't have to. Because God has done something about sorting it out. And God's way of sorting it out is to send Jesus into this world on a mission. That's why he was in that boat on that given day. It was part of his earthly sojourn. But it did not stop the disciples saying, Do you not care that we're about to perish? And do you know what he has to say to them? Where's your faith? Where is your faith? And I'm back to what I've mentioned earlier on. So often in life's sojourn, we are so all over the place, beside ourselves with worry and anxiety and fear. And Jesus is basically saying to us, where's your faith? And then he does something to manifest to them not his humanity. That's been manifested in his sleeping on that pillow but he commands the wind and the waves and we read and there was a great calm. And it's not just that the wind and the waves stopped in the Sea of Galilee that day. He took the breath of these disciples away 
And I think they were probably feeling very, very rebuked. There was a great calm. Why? Because he was who he was. And he still is who he is this very day. Thirty days, forty days rather, after the resurrection, Jesus returns to heaven. And he has been there ever since. And yes, he had authority in his earthly sojourn, but there's something different now. And what's different is this he has paid the price, he has mastered the grave, he has committed himself to death in the stead of his sinners. And you'll know that one of the sayings of the cross was this it is finished. The whole work that he came to do, it's finished. You know, you and I have to remember that. On the days the enemy of our souls is devastating us and destroying us and depressing us and causing us to despair because we've mucked up again. I think we have to remember this. Our salvation is dependent on the finished work of Christ. I'm not trying to, I have to be careful, I'm not trying to excuse sin or to condone it or to justify it in any way whatsoever. I'm not doing that. As far as our contentment in this world is concerned, our sin will destroy our contentment and peace. It cannot destroy the salvation that has been given to us as a gift in Christ. It is so important for us to remember eh, that. But he's done it all. And now, yes, He has had authority before, but he's got authority now in heaven and on earth as the one who has achieved what God the Father sent him into this world to do. And he's telling them, he's telling them that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here's the the link up. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And you know, God in his wisdom chose a people to bless with the covenant and to bless with the way of salvation. That was the privilege of the Jewish people. Ultimately they rejected him. And he turns to the non-Jewish nations. That's us. And the blessing of the gospel has come across the globe. That's why we're here today. Now why did God do it that way? Well, why not that way? It's his prerogative to do what he wants with his creation. And the human race is part of his creation. And so he says to a man called Abraham about 4,000 years ago, I'll be your God if you want me to be. And Abraham has options. Abraham could well say, I've got my gods already. Because southern Iraq in those days was full of gods with a small g. In particular, the worship of the moon god. But Abraham says, yes, I want you as my god. And there's a bond created. And there's blessings flowing to the family of of Abraham. and, And here it is. Part of that blessing is 
It's not just a blessing that was promised to Abraham. It goes away back to the very beginning of the human race. It goes away back to Adam and Eve. They're hardly out of the Garden of Eden when they've messed things up severely. And God is saying to them, in your family tree will be born somebody who's going to bring blessing to every nation on planet Earth. Here he is. Jesus of Nazareth. Here he is. God faithful to his word and he's fulfilled his remit and he's giving this command to his disciples go therefore and make disciples of all nations <coughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you so he's telling them they've got to disciple people and part of this discipling is to baptize them. And part of this discipling is to teach them. And you know, for those people who are engaged in that kind of activity, and at the end of the day, it's not just ministers and deacons and elders. At the end of the day, there's a responsibility on the shoulders of every believing person to spread the good news of the gospel. But you know, sometimes you do it and you're trembling at the knee. I think probably that's the best way to do it. Because sometimes we're so full of ourselves and we're so full of our arrogance and we can do this and we can do that and we can do the next thing. And that's a disaster. It's always going to be a disaster. But when you're a trembling wreck and you know your own frailties and you know your own potential for putting a spanner in the works and you still know that this is required of you then you turn to another source. And who is the other source? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I want you to go and disciple all nations. And part of that discipling is to baptize and to teach. And I want to home in on the baptizing. I know it says in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're into the Trinity, another profound mystery. God is one and yet there are three persons in the Trinity. Profound mystery. Let's not pretend we know it all because we don't. But to say that we don't know it all is not the same as saying we know nothing because we know a lot more of God than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. And the command was to disciple. And part of that discipling is to baptize. And part of that discipling is to teach. Now before someone becomes a Christian they've got to have some kind of knowledge of God. Well they have that from creation. They need more than that. They need some of this knowledge that's in this book. However they get it, that's not the point, but they need some of it. But after they've become Christians, it's not a case of, well, I know it all now. That's a fatal mistake. Life is a learning process. And part of the pain for a believer is this to learn a wee bit more about yourself day by day. But hopefully alongside learning more about ourselves day by day, we learn more about the grace and the mercy of God as well. But I want to home in on this, on this issue of, of baptizing because today we will baptize little Roddy and his mum and dad will take vows.
I said that when Adam and Eve were out of the Garden of Eden, God gives them glorious hope. A child will be born into the family tree. He's going to bring blessing to every nation on the face of the earth. And then about 4,000 years ago, God speaks to Abraham and God enters into a particular covenant with Abraham. And so we have the Old Testament period. And God says to Abraham, I want you to have my mark on you and on your children. And the mark that God chooses is circumcision. Now it is not that that's the first time the human race encounters circumcision because it was on the go before then. And it was on the go for reasons of hygiene. There was the potential for um, there was the potential for uncleanness. And it was because of that that some decided uh, to circumcise their children. Now it's like, it's like the rainbow. Was there a rainbow in the sky before the flood? Some believe that it was a new phenomenon at the flood. Others believed it was there before the flood. But God harnesses a phenomenon of nature and makes it special to him. And I think probably that's the way it was with the rainbow. Certainly that's the way it was with circumcision. It was the removal of uh, the foreskin on the males of the, of, the, of, of the human race. And you come to the New Testament and it talks about the circumcision of the heart. And the context it's speaking there is getting rid of sin. It's obviously metaphoric language. But the whole context is getting rid of what's unclean. You come to New Testament times and circumcision is no longer the sign of the covenant. There's a new sign of the covenant and the new sign of the covenant, it's baptism. And whether we believe in solely immersion or immersion and sprinkling, well, that's, it's, I'm not interested, well, I shouldn't say I'm not interested in the mode, but I don't want to go there uh, for, for, for the moment. Certainly in Old Testament times, the furniture in the, in, in, in the temple and tabernacle was baptized. It certainly wasn't submerged, it was sprinkled. But, but um, you know what it's like. The kids are out in the garden playing and they're full of grime and it's dinner time and you call them to come in and you send them to the utility room or to the sink or, and, and you get them to put their hands under the water and they're, they're washing all the grime away for hygiene reasons. You come to the New Testament and you talk about the washing of regeneration. When people are regenerated, that regeneration is something that God does. And what God is doing is getting rid of <coughs> the uncleanness. God is getting rid of sin. <coughs> and that's what's symbolized in baptism. And these disciples are being told that they are to go out and they are go to, they are go to, they've got to go to the nations. And of course there are people who have had no background and they're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth. They're going to come as great sinners and it's going to dawn on them what Jesus has actually done, that salvation is a gift. And they're wanting to express their thankfulness to Jesus. And they listen to what Jesus has had to say and they want to be baptised. 
when they're baptized, they're baptized there as adults. But it's not just the adults that are to be baptized, because if you remember, when Abraham circumcised himself, and then along comes his child, the child has to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now you might ask this question, what understanding does the child have of God and what understanding does the child have of uncleanness and what understanding does the child have of salvation? The child doesn't at eight days. The point is this, God said do it because this is a family covenant. And if God's going to stop that family aspect of the covenant in New Testament times, we're expecting a clear prohibition. No children now. It's not there. It's not there. And so it is a covenant God makes with believers and with their children. When we, Roddy, will be baptized today, we're not saying that Roddy understands the tenets of the faith. What we are saying is this, that the parents are going to take vows to bring him up to know, to fear, and to respect. When I use that word fear, I mean to respect in the respect and the admonition of the Lord. Do you know that's such a crucial, crucial thing? Because, you know, as you look around yourself in society today, you get good parents who would do anything at all for their children. They want their children to have the best of health. They want their children to have the best of education. They want their children to have the best of jobs. They want their children to have a good house, a good car, a healthy bank account. And you know there is nothing in all the world wrong with that. Any parent worth the salt will have consideration for their children. But the problem so often is this, that parents will look out for everything in respect of a child's needs and a child's welfare except the one thing that is absolutely needful. The child is a soul. And the child is a tarnished soul. But there's a gift available in Christ for that child as well. But it's almost as if it's ignored. And it's almost as if it's of no consequence. I think I've said this from this pulpit before. You know, sometimes I wish in my folly that I could make decisions for other people. And what I mean by that is this. I wish I could make the decision for them by proxy so that I absolutely know they're going to be safe in Jesus for time and for eternity. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's all about a one-to-one with an individual and God. That's the way it works. So does that mean there's nothing you can do? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that the greatest gift that can be bestowed upon children is to give them an example of the parents trusting in Jesus. 
Now I know there will be those of us who have taken baptismal vows who want to bury our heads with shame at this point because we have failed so miserably so often. The covenant that God made with the human race has an accommodation for that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's not pretend that we have no flaws. Let's not pretend we have no faults. Because our kids will know better than anybody else that we have. But let's remind them that this is a God who in his mercy deals with us. With all our flaws and all our faults. And who still gloriously saves us. Let's show them that kind of lifestyle. And let's pass on to them, yes, other gifts, but not to miss out this gift of knowing that they have never dying souls and they need this Christ as well. And may God grant that each and every one of us, young and old, would be trusting in this Saviour this day and forevermore now whilst we sing a few verses uh, of this song it's Psalm 139a if somebody could go upstairs and uh, let those who are in the crash know that uh, we are moving on to the, the baptism of Roddy and whilst we sing uh, in Psalm 139a which is found on page 181 of the Psalter we will sing at verse 13. For you, O Lord, created me. You wove me on your loom. My inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb. Because I'm wonderfully made with all your praise I tell. Your workmanship is marvellous. And this I know full well. When in the secret place my frame was made before my birth, you saw my body yet unformed within the depths of earth. We'll sing these verses to God's praise. Psalm 1398 verse 13 For you, O Lord, created me.
warning for baptism in the passage of scripture that we've just been looking at uh, today. So we move on to the questions that I must address. Do you believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the only saviour of sinners? Do you promise to bring up Roddy in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And if the congregation could be upstanding. Roddy, Alexander, Fraser, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious unto you and make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's join together in prayer. O Lord, our God, we give you thanks afresh for new life in our midst. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be thankful for your kindness to us. We pray, O Lord, that as the baptismal vows are taken this day, that you would give the grace that would enable them to be fulfilled. Remember all of us who have taken baptismal vows. We pray that we would remember to come to you each and every day in all our need and with all our faults and with all our feelings and ask that your mercy would envelop us afresh. Be a blessing to us, we pray, and help us in the midst of all the ups and downs and the twists and the turns and the bumps and the bruises of life's journey to give you what you deserve each and every day. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, folks, we'll conclude by singing again from that same song, Psalm 139a, and it's at verse 16, it's uh, page 181 of the Psalter. And all the days that I should live which you ordained for me were written in your book, O Lord, before they came to be. O God, how precious are your thoughts. I scan them from afar. And as I seek to grasp them all, how numberless they are. Were I to count them, they would be more than the grains of sand. When I awake, I am with you, still safe within your hand. Psalm 139a and at verse uh, 16. And all the days that I should live.
may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.